Well, family, this morning we are going to be talking about commitment in community because we're part of a community. And um, a lot of times we don't understand or we don't think about or we don't reflect upon what it means to actually be committed to the community of which we are a part. So we're going to study that this morning through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Would you join me in prayer and we'll study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. It's an opportunity that we have often and we often waste. And so we pray then that today especially you would help us not only to see that opportunity, but then to act on it and do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So growth is a pretty easy thing to measure. You know that a seed is growing when the little plant peeks out from the soil. You know that your investment is growing or not based on how much is in the account. And you can tell when children are growing by measuring their height and other metrics. So growth tends to be an easy thing to measure. Maturity is a little bit more difficult. For example, just because a young man stands six feet tall doesn't mean that he has the maturity to clean up after himself. When you walk into a kindergarten classroom, you're going to encounter lots of little people who are all about the same age, roughly all about the same height, but can be very vastly different in terms of their maturity. You've got one over here reading a chapter book and one over here contemplating eating glue. Two totally different levels of maturity. So today what we want to talk about is, is making that shift from focusing on what we understand to be growth to reflecting on maturity, especially as it exists within the church. That type of maturity is called spiritual maturity. And the Apostle Paul has written a letter here to the relatively new church in Ephesus. And, and we want to talk about that. We want to talk about what it means to be new. Because anytime that you have something new, there's going to be this period of adjustment and compromise and trial and error. You've you got to try to figure out how all the pieces work together. The other attribute, though, of newness is that it has the potential to grow, to grow really fast. Growth and maturity are not the same thing. So back before the real estate bubble burst, Lakewood Ranch was one of the top 10 fastest growing communities in the country. And even after that, we still see that the growth is out in East County, and that is fueled by the fact that everything is new. New houses, new schools, new, new, new. And new is great and wonderful and shiny, and there is nothing wrong with new, except that one day all new things will become old. Remember that West Bradenton was new once. So we have this tendency to, to see new things and to see numerical growth and to equate that growth with being new and being exciting and being cutting edge because there's always going to be that initial attraction to the newest, latest thing. But what happens when new wears off? 
It's like that moment when a little baby is born and you're all there in the hospital and it's wonderful and it's exciting and, and they hand the baby to you and everybody's taking pictures and grandma and grandpa have called in and, and it's really, really wonderful. And then, nowadays, about 24 hours later, the hospital packs up all your stuff, bundles up that little bundle of joy, sits you out front by the curb and says, good luck, have fun with that. What do you do? What do you do at that point when it's not new anymore and it's real and you've got to handle it? That's the point that we're kind of entering into here in Paul's letter. Many in Ephesus have heard and believed the good news of Jesus Christ because that's where you got to start from. That's where the church starts from. They believe that he's the son of God. They believe that he paid for their sins on the cross even though they didn't deserve it. They believe that he overcame death and he rose again. And this is such good news, great news in fact, that it is life-changing for the people of Ephesus and initially they just want to be a part of it. They, they want to be a part of that excitement. I'm somebody who's believed the good news for a very long time and I still get excited when I talk about it. But now the church in Ephesus has got all the people together and, and they're all people that really, they're just connected by the same central belief in Jesus Christ, which is exactly what connects this group today. In fact, it may be the only connecting thing among all of us. College football kicked off yesterday. I already know just on our staff. We don't all agree on the same college football team. Very few of us watch the same television shows. This is going to come as a shock to everybody, but there are Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Libertarians, and even Green Party members of our church. So we don't all agree politically. We don't all go to the same school. We don't all work in the same place. We don't eat at the same restaurants. So if you really want to get down to it, our single connection to one another is the fact that we all believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And there's good news with this. We can grow with Jesus. We can grow numerically. There are plenty of people right here in West Bradenton that have never heard the good news that they are forgiven, that they are loved, that they are wanted by the creator of the universe. So growing is not really an issue, but growing and maturing are two very different things. And that's the heart of where Paul's letter is headed this morning. He's been trying to get the people to see that although they come from very different backgrounds with many different interests and skill sets, they are connected in a holy way to one another as they make up the body of Christ that is the church. And in order for the church to mature, the people within it also have to mature. So in verse 7, Paul is trying to help them see that this connection that they have to the community that God has given to each of them comes with a responsibility. He writes, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I just want to tell you right now that, that there's more than one type of grace. The first grace is saving grace. And that's the grace that we all, we all like and we all are, we're all aware of. That's the amazing grace that, that we love to sing about. 
Saving grace occurred in that while we were still sinners, Christ died to pay for our sins. So even when we didn't realize that we needed to be rescued, God saved us anyway. That's saving grace. But that's not the grace that we're talking about this morning. God gave us a second type of grace. And that grace, and Paul's referring to it this morning, is called equipping grace. God gives us what we need to do what he has called us to do. So if you already thought that you were the recipient of grace, you are the recipient of twice grace because you have a saving grace and you have equipping grace and God gave you both in full measure. So for example, God has equipped me with just enough just barely enough cooking skills to make sure that my kids will eat this week while Pastor Sung is out of town. That is an act of grace for me and for the kids. That's also the equipping grace that Moses experienced when Moses was asked to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses said, okay, God, I'm going to do it, but I can't, I can't speak really well. Well, the grace was that God gave Moses Aaron and Miriam to help him. When Daniel made the decision to follow God at the potential cost of losing his very life, God gave him everything he needed to keep following in faith. That is equipping faith. When God gives you what you need to do to do exactly what he's called you to do, God gives that to you. So therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Here's where I think a lot of us find the loophole in this passage. Paul didn't list out every single type of gift. So a lot of us assume, oh, my gift's not listed. God doesn't need me. If Paul listed out every single gift, the Bible would be twice as long. So this is not an exhaustive list. But the reason that God gave you gifts, and Paul's clear about this, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So it's not just that God gave you gifts. It's, that's not just it. He gave it to you for a very specific purpose. He gave it to you so that you would build up the body of Christ. Well, what is the body of Christ? It is the church. So you were given gifts to build up the church until everyone comes to a unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So what Paul is saying here is that every single one of us, no exceptions, has received a measure of God's equipping grace. So there is something in your life, some attribute of who you are and what you are capable of that God is going to use to build up his kingdom. Maturity in faith is demonstrated when we take what we've been given and we actually use it for God's purposes here. I think we tend to want to over-spiritualize this a little bit. 
I think we want to do classes and inventories and exploration of spiritual gifts. It's not that hard. It's not that hard at all because we're not talking about inventing something or uncovering some hidden talent that you didn't know that you had. It's just not that complicated. It's about being willing to use what you already have which you already have for the benefit of the community to which you are connected to in faith. So let me give you a really concrete example from something that's going on right now, right here in our own congregation. We have these two walking events coming up with some of our community mission partners. I want to tell you that at no point was there this divine revelation, this burning bush, this cloud that descended from the heavens that came down to us and said, Kirkwood, I have given each of you the gift of walking. Now go and use it. Never happened. Never happened. There was nothing holy spiritual about this. But what did happen is that most of the people in our church have the gift of being able to walk. And so what God gave us then was the opportunity to use that gift in a positive way. This is not crazy spiritual stuff. This is just how God works. Well, then, a couple weeks ago, a member of our church, different service, came and asked me, did, did I have a plan for T-shirts for these walks? And I hadn't really thought about it, hadn't given it any thought whatsoever. Well, she's a graphic design artist. And she said, well, what if I make some shirts. There is no special class on spiritual gifts that highlights graphic design. It just doesn't happen that way. There was no announcement in the bulletin pleading for help. There was no panicked phone call from me or Pastor Sung in desperation. The holy moment occurred when she simply took stock of what she was able to do she saw the opportunity, and then, here's, here's the crazy part, she knew what she was capable of, she saw the opportunity, and then she acted on it. She did something about it. That's what maturity looks like. Being aware enough to know what you can do, being open enough to see the opportunities, and then being faithful enough to respond to them. I think that sometimes our tendency is to want to focus on what we can't do. Or, and this is a, this is a classic church thing, we, we feign a false humility, claiming that somebody, somebody's going to do it better than us. Or we pretend like we didn't know that there was a need that, that we could meet. These, at the heart, are all matters of maturity. So I want you to think about it in terms of a preschool child. Let's picture four or five years old. You ask them to go clean their room. And what happens? 30 seconds later, they come back to you. I can't do it. I tried. I tried to make my bed, but the blankets won't stay put. Big brother makes beds great. Can't he just make my bed? So you walk into the room and you almost immediately find yourself in traction as you step on the tons of toys that are all over the floor. And how does a preschooler respond to that? Oh, I didn't see that there. I didn't see that there. 
right? But that's a child, and that's immaturity of childhood. That's what we expect out of four-year-olds. It's okay when you're four. It is not okay when you're 40. In fact, it's not okay. It's so not okay that we don't even ask 40-year-olds to go clean their room. We just assume that at 40, you're going to figure this out for yourself. So even Paul makes this analogy of childhood here as he pushes the Ephesians to a greater spiritual maturity. He says, we, we must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's what blows people around churches. They get caught up in whatever doctrine they like this week and they just go with it. Then they go with something else and they just get blown around and that's a spiritual immaturity. And even though Paul uses childhood as, as the gauge here, spiritual maturity does not always equate to age. You can be 80 and totally unwilling to acknowledge the equipping grace that God has given you. And you can be 70 and acknowledge the grace that God's given you and choose to ignore those opportunities that are right in front of you. And you can be 30, fully aware of your grace, fully aware of the opportunity to employ it, and totally unwilling to act upon it. So spiritual maturity arrives when the new wears off and decisions have to then be made about those next steps. There are people who move every five to six years because they don't want to have to deal with the maintenance on their home. And there are people who lease cars so that they can walk away before the real work and repairs have to be done. And there are even people who trade in for a new spouse every time those rose-colored glasses of a new relationship fade and the real work of marriage has to begin. Likewise, there are people who change churches every time it appears that something might be expected of them or that their faith is going to be challenged or that they're going to be pushed a little bit in a way that they, they don't want to be pushed. Well, your faith is more precious than your home or your car. And you shouldn't treat it the same way that you treat the stuff of this world. But speaking the truth in love, says Paul, we must grow up in every way into, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by every ligament in which it is equipped, as, part, uh, and as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. Here's what this means for the church. Either we all grow in spiritual maturity and we all are healthy together, or only some of us do it, and everyone else ends up hurting the body because the few cannot carry the many for long distances. Spiritual maturity promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is a community of love. That is one of the things that the vision team heard repeatedly this summer especially the well, that so many of you, of you see it as a community, a family, a place of love. Well, if that's truly what we believe about this place then, and we truly believe that we are all part of the body, then all of us need to do something for it to continue to grow in love. 
Your spiritual maturity testifies to the strength of the relationship between you, God, and the community of faith. Spiritual maturity is about receiving God's equipping grace, a grace of which, as I told you before, we are all recipients. And receiving that grace means that you are acknowledging it. If somebody gives you a present and you open it, you are acknowledging that you have received it. And from that point on, you have to actively seek out opportunities to engage that gift. So what that means is that you don't sit there and wait for someone to discover that you have these amazing organizational skills, but instead that you outright offer to organize an event that nobody's probably ever given any thought to before this. You don't wait for that personal phone call from the pastor begging you to do something that's already in your wheelhouse, but you just kept thinking, I'm just going to wait it out until I get that personal invitation. That's not spiritual maturity. And it can be dangerous for churches to grow, but not mature. Ask any mother who still has to pick up after their 16-year-old who then turns around and asks them for the car keys and gas money, how hard it is when somebody grows, but they don't mature. Instead of maturing, all they end up doing is consuming, 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 and then consuming some more. So spiritual maturity recognizes that we're all part of the body of Christ in a community, and as such, we are to take what we have been given Seek out those opportunities to use those gifts. And when we find the opportunities, not just to see them, but to act on them without some adult constantly telling us that we need to clean up our room. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we, uh, at our best, we can be masters of deception. We don't want to see an opportunity, we just don't see it. We want to make excuses. We can do that with the best of them. But the truth of the matter is that as we grow in our faith, as we expand in our spiritual maturity, that comes from a willingness to acknowledge that, yes, we have been given gifts. We've been given great gifts. And then also that we've been given opportunities. And so we hit that place of maturity when we take the gifts, we seek the opportunity, and we act on it. And we do something that builds up the body of Christ, which is the church. So as we come to the table this morning, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we confess that all of us, every single one of us, needs to continue to grow in faith till we get to that mature, full stature of the body of Christ. Equip us, equip us as we come to the table that we might see our gifts, seek the opportunities, and act on them in holy ways. In your name we pray, amen.